Thank you, brother. Turn, if you would, to Philippians 4. Philippians chapter 4. All I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. And I get to come up here and point to that. And I just, it's a privilege and a joy to be able to point to the one that's our treasure, that's our king, that we praise, and that can redeem sinners lost in darkness, fast bound in sin. And it is our privilege to enjoy that king and to go tell it on the mountain. Amen? Let's pray together and ask God to bless this time. Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word, and it is a life-giving book because you have breathed it out, and you have inspired it, and you have disclosed it to us. And you have given us a book to tell us about who you are and about who we are and about how we can be saved. And it is also a book, Lord God, that tells us how to live the Christian life and tells us the one in whom we can get the power to do it. And Father God, I pray that you would anoint this time. I pray that you would anoint this service. I pray that you would help us to savor the privileges of rejoicing in the Lord and the peace of God that can come upon the hearts of your people. It's a peace that we can know and taste and be helped by. And I pray that the Spirit would help us, Lord, now to lay hold of these truths in this word from Philippians as we have been getting so much help from the Apostle Paul. Would you help us again and would the Spirit minister to our hearts right where we need it most? May it be like lightning in our souls. May it be like a, a cold cup of water on a hot summer day. May it be like a blanket of peace enveloping our lives. We need your help, Lord. We need your grace. We need a vision of, of life from this book. And we ask it in the mighty and precious name of King Jesus. Amen. Recently, I went to the dentist. And, you know, it's not always my favorite experience to go to the dentist. But I was, I was sitting in the dentist chair for a cleaning. So I'm, more, I'm happier about the cleanings than I am about getting my teeth drilled. And one of the reasons you go get cleanings is so you don't have to get your teeth drilled. But I'm in the dentist seat and the hygienist is kind of looking, you know, for things and examining my gum line and doing all the stuff that hygienists do. And then she asks a question. She's like, how, how often do you floss? And so I was like, oh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> this is a little awkward, but not enough. Um, you know, and I start like feeling the, the weight of that. And really she's asking questions to really help me 
understand, like, this is for my health. And so as she sees things, she wants to provide help. She wants to provide preventatives to help me kind of see uh, how to take care of my teeth. Because if you don't take care of your gums, you know, your teeth are going to follow, right? So if you've got like a little gingivitis going on, like you're going to need to start flossing and help your gums. And I started thinking about that. That's what Paul is doing in Philippians right here in this passage. He is helping us. He's like giving us a spiritual checkup. He's helping you kind of diagnose like, do I've got some like spiritual gingivitis going on? Do I have like some tooth decay? And he's asking us questions to help us. And he's commanding and giving exhortations to encourage us to live a healthy Christian life. And, and, and it's for our good, for our joy, and for our peace. And one of the things he diagnoses and, and helps us see is that when we begin to lack joy and peace in our soul, deep down, when we lack joy and peace and we're kept up at night, when we lack joy and peace because we're frenetic, worrying about all of the things that are encroaching on our lives, when we are fretting and anxious and all torn up, right? When we feel like we're in the vice grip of worry, we begin to realize that we have signs of spiritual decay going on. And Paul just wants to kind of give you hope. Paul just wants to kind of come in there like that gentle dental hygienist, but a spiritual hygienist. He wants to be like, hey, I want to give you a way to experience the joy and peace that God intends for you in your life. Because you know, like we just sung a song about all we have is Christ. Jesus is my life. And as you were singing it, I'm willing to bet most of you were experiencing peace and joy kind of welling up in your souls. And it's this peace that Paul begins to help us explore and like a good diagnostic sort of doctor caring for our souls, he's going to give us four measures, preventative measures to help us deal with any decay going on, and, and to cause us to begin to live a, a healthy Christian life. So he's going he's gonna to show us in this text, we're to rejoice always, we're to put on a display of gentleness, number two. Number three, we're to be anxious for nothing but to pray about everything. And then lastly, we're to experience the peace of God in our souls. So let's look at that. Chapter 4 of Philippians in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, Paul is packing 
so much spiritual truth in those short few verses. They're life-changing if you get your heart around it. They're life-changing, explosive truths that are meant to bring hope. They're meant to bring joy. They're meant to bring peace. And so as we kind of open our hearts and we ask God, do some surgery in our hearts. Help, me, help us to grow. Help us to get spiritual health, spiritually healthy. And help us to think about these things in ways that are just going to bring life into your soul. And as Christians, these are our distinct privileges and blessings to lay hold of. They're not for unbelievers. Therefore, those who are in Christ, verse 7 says, right? In Christ. Preventative measure number one. Rejoice always. Look at verse 4 once again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So Paul has just been after joy all through this letter. He said it in chapter 3 in verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord. He's praying it to open the letter. I pray for you with joy in my heart always. He's encouraging them all throughout to have a joy. He's saying complete my joy in chapter 2 because complete my joy by being united and being of one mind and one heart. Paul is after joy in the Lord in the Christian life. And there's a sense in which if our lives are choked up by grumbling and ingratitude and a joylessness, we know something's wrong. We know something has to change. We know something the Lord is dealing with us. We know the Spirit is saying, you're, you're not a joyful person. You don't have the joy of the Lord in your heart. And maybe we need to hear Paul's exhortation. It's, it's a command, but it's an encouragement. Rejoice in the Lord. And he's, he's like, rejoice in the Lord no matter what's going on around you. And no matter what's going on. It, it, there, there are so many different factors that go on in our lives, right? That can steal our joy. The devil is after, he's a thief of joy. And he is plotting ways to steal your joy right now. There are demonic hosts afoot to steal your joy. And Paul is after giving you kind of a spiritual balm to help you receive and rejoice in the Lord over and above your circumstances. And he's no stranger to rejoicing in all kinds of situations. He's writing the letter from a prison. He's writing letter, the letter to Philippi from a prison cell telling them to rejoice in the Lord always. And you know he knows how to rejoice in prison. Because in Acts 16, he's delivering a slave girl who was filled with demons. And he tells the demons to get out of her in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. She's delivered. And her handlers throw Paul and Silas into prison. Beat them. And they're in the stockade in prison. And what do they do? Oh, they complain and grumble and say, How, why could I be here? No. They start a prayer and praise meeting in the prison. And they're praying and singing and praising the Lord in prison. When by all rights, if they just went by their circumstances, if they just went by what's going on around them and what just happened to them, there would be no joy. But they rejoiced 
that they were counted worthy to be persecuted for the Lord. And you need to know that anything that's going on in your life that's bad that's happening to you, that, that may be a thief of joy in your heart, is there so that you can rejoice in the Lord in and through the suffering and the difficulty and be an emblem of God's power to cause joy in the soul of His people when it is impossible any other way. Christians are the only ones in the universe who can experience this kind of joy when things go wrong. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How does Horatio Spafford sing those words when he had just gotten news? that his daughters drowned in the middle of the ocean when two ocean lighters collided and one having his wife and daughters on it and all his daughters perished. And he went over to England to serve in a crusade by D.L. Moody in spite of it, because they were going ahead of him. And he went out there and in the middle of the ocean on his way over, knowing that his daughters had just perished in the ocean, he penned the words to it is well with my soul. And he was a man who knew sorrow, yet he could have joy in the Lord. Sorrowful, Paul says in other letters, yet always rejoicing. This isn't like bury your head in the sand and pretend like everything is going well. It's going to the one who can provide the joy to sustain you in the deep difficulties and distresses of life. When your health fails, when you're struggling in the domestic life, when you're dealing with the difficulties that are just all around us. Maybe it's just pandemic difficulties. Maybe it's there's a disagreement in the family about how to deal with the pandemic. Maybe there's a sense in which the political unrest all around you has just made you frightened. And yet Paul can write, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will tell you, rejoice. Because this is a, a joy that the ultimate source is not your circumstances, but it's the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. One commentator put it like this. He said, if our joy derives primarily from our circumstances, then when our circumstances change, we're going to be miserable. But if our joy is in the Lord, that's what enables us to rise above our circumstances and have a supernatural joy. To rise above the hard things. And Paul's no stranger to hard things. He's writing from prison, right? Do you want to get off the roller coaster of going to and fro through every hard situation in life and not experiencing a deep abiding joy in the Lord and grumbling and, and, and frustrated and angry and complaining about all of those things and you can't taste the joy that you were meant to have in Christ. You want to know how to get there? You got to remember 
who you are in the Lord. you got to remember that it's the Lord who saved you. You want to know where the joy is? It's in the Lord who saves you. It's in the Lord who went to the cross. It's in the Lord who went to the tomb. It's in the Lord who busted out of the grave. It's in the Lord who ascended to the Father and said it is finished. The work of redemption is done. And it sent His Spirit to be in His people to produce joy. You want to know what the fruit of the Spirit is? Joy. In the Lord. That's a distinct Christian blessing that Paul wanted the Philippians to embrace. In Smithfield, he wants each and every one of us as believers to embrace. And you know what that tells the world? The Gospel's real. The Gospel actually does things supernaturally in the heart that can do things in men like Horatio Spafford who could pen it as well with my soul when you think that would be crazy. And how many of us are touched when we sing the words, it is well, it is well with my soul. Because we know we're right with the Lord. We know there's a sense of well-being And we learned what Nehemiah learned, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah chapter 8. Preventative measure number two. Put on gentleness. Put your gentleness on display. Look at it right there in verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, if you look in your footnote, probably in your Bible, there's an alternate suggestion for how to translate that word reasonableness. And you might see the word gentleness. And that's probably a better translation. Or, or if you were to kind of do what one author has written and and kind of augment the reasonableness and call it some sweet reasonableness. That's the kind of thing that Paul is telling you to put on display. You want to be the kind of person that that puts on display gentleness or you want to put on a sweet reasonableness. That's the kind of man that, that has the Spirit of Christ in him or the woman who has the Spirit of Christ in him that is living in a way that is gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus actually said, when he talked about his heart in the Gospels, he said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And I will give you rest. Jesus Himself was a suffering, gentle, kind, other-centered person who sacrificially poured out His heart to save sinners. And He was gentle. And this isn't kind of like the gentle, timid sort of thing. This is a gentleness that forbears and and, and long-suffers towards the bumblings and the, the, the frustrations of our fellow men and women. 
and it shows up in the church, are you long-suffering to your brothers and sisters? Do you bear with them in their burdens? Do you bear with them in their difficulties? Do you go the extra mile when, when they're being a little difficult? And you give them the benefit of the doubt and you forbear with them. Everybody here who's got student loan debt knows what forbearance is, right? Forbearance means that you're like not going to have to pay the debt. And some of us need to have that kind of kindness that we're not going to just hold things, little things that and nitpick over the stuff that might be bristling us, but bring it to the Lord and be gentle and lowly in heart towards your brothers and sisters. Put it on display. It's what is winsome in the world around people who are gentle and lowly are kind of different, right? Because most people are trying to grab all the, they can when they can. They'll walk over people's heads to get to success. And they want to make people pay when things go wrong, right? You're going to have to pay for this. You wounded me. You, you made me mad. You frustrated me. You annoyed me. Love covers a multitude of sins. And we're to put gentleness on display. One writer said, it's, it's a fair-mindedness, the attitude of a man who is charitable towards men's faults and merciful in his judgment of their failings because he takes their whole situation into his reckoning. You understand there's probably more going on there, right? Sometimes we just look at the thing and we forget the context in which the struggle may arise. And I've learned a lot through counseling others, that sometimes there's a larger story and a larger context behind why people sometimes do the things they do. And if you're a gentle, sweetly reasonable person, you're going to tap into that. You're, you're going to understand that. And you're going to go to God, pray for help for this brother or sister, and live in a way that promotes peace and unity. Because Jesus was gentle and lowly in heart. The prophet Isaiah said about Jesus that he was actually uh, he, a bruised reed he would not break. And a smoldering wick he would not quench. He was so tender, so kind, that a bruised reed, a reed that's about to bend and break, he wouldn't even break that. Because he knows the tender souls of sinners struggling in a fallen world and all busted up. And he comes to them with a gentle, gracious heart. Is that your heart towards others? And Paul's going to give us a reason and a motivation for this in verse 5. Look at it. Why do we do this? Because the Lord is at hand. The Lord's at hand. The Lord is... And, and there's two ways to take that. The Lord is present and the Lord is coming back. Let's look at that one at a time. The Lord is present. The Lord's at hand. The Lord is with us. When you got saved, the Lord sent his spirit into your heart. The Lord is with you. How might it change you in your behavior if Jesus walked into the room in the middle of the argument in the kitchen? How might it change your behavior if as you were lying about something to cover up a sin, Jesus walked in and he was listening to the lie? How might your entertainment habits change if you knew Jesus was chilling on the couch next to you as you started to look through Netflix? 
And how might you interact with your brothers and sisters and family knowing that Jesus is present? And the truth is, he's right there present with us. And we do it before the watching eyes of the Lord of glory. And Paul is like, oh, Jesus is about creating a sweetly reasonable person who begins to live conscious of the presence of Jesus all the time. Not only do you rejoice always, but that sweet gentleness in display for all to see. And that's not like a showboating sort of thing. It's just when you live in the world as a sweetly reasonable person, it's on display. The world is looking in and unbelievers are looking. And Jesus said, they shall know my disciples by their love for one another. The second thing that we think about when we think about the Lord is at hand is the second coming of Jesus. Like Jesus is coming back, right? The Lord will come. I was reading today in Thessalonians. The Lord's coming like a thief in the night. But the church should not be surprised. So the church should not be like, oh, I just got caught off guard. But Jesus is like, wake up, be ready, be mindful, be watching, be waiting, live as a kingdom citizen, live with the heart of Christ, live with the mind of Christ towards your brothers and sisters and be on the hunt in the world to be able to do good to others. And to be the kind of person that just lives in ways that you endure hard and difficult things with the love of Christ. Because Jesus was beaten for our sins. By his stripes were healed. But guess what? He was beaten and put on a cross because of our sin. He did not offer a word back when he was condemned in his defense. And yet he was innocent. He shows us the way to endure hard things. Now, I'm not saying be a doormat, but what I'm saying is put on display the kind of Christian living that knows that we got a suffering Savior. And Christians can be long-suffering towards one another and especially towards the world when we remember Jesus went to the cross. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for you you all of us right in christ we have an example of sweet reasonableness and he's coming again and that should sober the way we live and the new testament is filled with examples first john chapter 3 says beloved we are god's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we'll see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him and his second coming purifies himself as he is pure. There should be a purifying power to the reality that Jesus is coming back again. As Crystal Lewis, the famous singer once said, People get ready, Jesus is coming. Smithfield, get ready, Jesus is coming. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is coming back. And I just want to have my heart 
busy about kingdom work, living for the glory of Christ, loving one another, and putting Jesus on display with a sweet reasonableness. So we rejoice always. We put sweet reasonableness on display in our lives. And number three, be anxious for nothing and pray about everything. Oh, come on, Paul. <laughs> You're going to say, I don't be anxious for anything? Well, he doesn't just leave it like a bald statement, but you know what? Jesus said that. He said, don't be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, what you're going to put on. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. He feeds the birds. He's going to take care of you. He clothes the lilies of the field. He's going to take care of you. The Gentiles and unbelievers worry about what they're going to eat, drink, and wear. But you know your Father's going to take care of you. God loves you. Don't be anxious. But He also says, pray about everything. Don't be anxious, but pray about... That's, talk about a preventative measure. Every time you've got anxiety, anxiety welling up in your soul, come to the throne of grace. Every time you're fretting and biting your fingernails, come to the throne of grace. Every time you feel like the pressures are just stacking up and it's one against another, against another, against another, and against another, and you're drowning underneath them, come to the throne of grace. Your Father cares for you. And He wants to help us in our time of need. When the saints begin to pray, the peace begins to come. That's awesome. When the, when the saints pray, the peace comes. And we remember from our spiritual checkup that when we lack peace, it's directly related to anxious thoughts strangling our heart. And maybe it's a sign of prayerlessness. Have you flossed? Right? Have you flossed lately? Have you prayed? Have you sought the Lord? Have you ever experienced the sweet blessing of the peace of God entering your heart and your mind in the midst of anxious, fretful times and it's just supernatural and you can't explain it. You pray and God takes it away. And you might have to pray again tomorrow or an hour later. But just keep bringing it to the throne of grace. Paul is encouraging us to pray knowing that the answer to prayer is the peace of God coming into your life. And there is no greater privilege. The world does not have that privilege. It is a blood-bought privilege of the children of God who have come to know Jesus and can come to the throne of grace. And if you don't know Jesus and you're full of anxiety and full of lack of peace and your soul is all twisted up, 
there's, a, there's hope for you too because you can come to Jesus. You can actually repent of your sins. You can realize that Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross to deal with the, 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 the stranglehold of life's anxieties and pressures and the sin that has twisted your soul up. And Jesus can actually bring peace with God into your life when deep down you know you're all wrong before God. And He can bring the peace. He can bring it like arrows of truth deep into your soul. And then you can begin out of that relationship to come to the throne of grace for the anxieties that plague your heart. Far from Bob, Morley, or Bob Marley, right? Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, get to praying. Don't worry, come to the throne of grace. Now, worry doesn't do anything but express uh, or depress us and discourage others. Worry doesn't do anything but actually depress us and discourage others. How many know that's true? <laughs> it's like, worry actually doesn't help anything. Jesus is like, how can you add a span or a moment to your life by worry. So it's only going to discourage you and depress other people around you. But if you come to the throne of grace, there's help. Prayer is like the antidote to the poison of worry. And I remember like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, right? And this is just classic opening scene where Indiana Jones is... is you know, uh, basically negotiating with these guys that he found this ancient artifact and he wants to get some get paid for it. And these guys don't want to pay Indiana Jones. And during the scene, he basically gets poisoned by a glass of champagne. And then the bad guy, open, you know, lifts up the little vial of, of antidote and starts laughing. And Indiana's like, you know, starting to sweat around his collar. And he's like, why, why, why are you laughing? And he's like, what's that, you know? And the guy's like, it's for the poison you just drank. And the whole scene just goes live at that point. And you're like, action on. And Indiana's doing everything he can to get the antidote. Tables are getting flipped over. Machine guns are going off everywhere. And I mean, it's this ridiculous scene over the top. And he's doing everything to get the antidote. And we have prayer as an antidote for our worry, and we can come to our Father any moment. Look at verse 6 again and, and just get some fresh help from this because we need to know we've got help here, right? Verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. One of the reasons we don't pray more is because we don't know how to pray or we feel we don't know how to pray and cry out to God. And Paul is anticipating that and he's going to give us a little bit of help and say, let me show you a little bit of how you might be able to pray. He instructs us like a good pastor. This is how you should pray. So three things real quick. Number one, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly and let your requests be made known to God. It's right there in verse 6. Let your requests be made known to God. Some of you might be thinking, I don't want to bug the Lord with my little problems. But there, you pray about everything. 
You come. He's approachable. He loves us. He wants to deal with those things. And if you come with a blood earnest, deep heart seeking prayer to the Lord, he's there for you. One of the things that working from home sort of has become a challenge in the Phillips household is, is really like how to deal with my office and the fact that my kids are, are, you know, not used to having dad home, but now he's been home for like a year and a half, right? And so we had to get a system going from when they could come in and when they couldn't come in if I was in the middle of a work call or a work meeting. So we had a red stop sign and a green go sign. So the stop sign, don't come in. The green sign, you can come in. Daddy's ready. Daddy's available. He'd love to hear from you. And you need to know that before the throne of grace, it's always green. There's always a green sign. There's never a red. God will never throw up a red sign to you if you come to him in faith. And that's an encouragement to know that when you pray earnestly and you let your request be made known to God, he's going to hear you. And if you feel like, I don't know how to get there, pastor, that's one of the reasons, among many reasons, we have prayer meetings on Wednesday night so we can learn how to pray together. And I would encourage you, come out, learn how to pray. Hear other brothers and sisters knock on the throne of grace with boldness. And receive help in a time of need. And get real with God in your prayer life. Don't be phony as if we can like hide stuff from God and like kind of, you know, I'm, I'm not going to tell him about this one. You know, he knows it all already. Come to him and he'll hear you. And he loves to care for you. Number two. Pray needy. Pray needy. I mean. Pray about your actual needs and your heart cries unto the Lord. Don't, that's what the word supplication in this passage in verse 6 actually means. It's a word, a special word that means crying out to God for your needs. For your specific, real life needs. And dial it into the stuff you're struggling with right now. The stuff you're anxious about right now. The stuff that's strangling out the life of God in your soul right now, and you feel like, I cannot do this any longer. Come to the throne of grace with those needs. And your Father loves to listen and act and give you a supernatural peace. And you'll notice that this kind of affection is a father's heart towards his kids. He loves to hear from his kids. And what father doesn't want to give his kids good things? How much more your heavenly father wants to give good things to you? Number three, pray gratefully. Pray gratefully. Have gratitude in your heart unto God. Thanksgiving. We're about to have Thanksgiving, right? This is our, your Thanksgiving moment, right? This is my little spot for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the overflow of joy in your soul about who God is and what he has done. Tell God with gratitude 
all the things you're thankful for about who he is and what he's done for you. He saved you. He's got he's putting breath in your lungs right now. He's given you taste buds, which, you know, living in a pandemic, we started to realize, hey, that's a pretty cool thing to have. Right. Taste buds. But God invented those. Thank God for it. Thank God for the things, not just your meals, but everything he's provided to you. What do you have in your life that you have not received? Everything good you have is from the hand of the Lord. And instead of focusing on all that you can't control and giving into anxious thoughts, what can you thank the Lord for? And that will season your prayer life in ways that you'll be changed. I mean, when you start living in gratitude, when your attitude of prayer is gratitude, it'll revolutionize your prayer life. That's why it's here in this passage. You, with thanksgiving, verse 6, let your requests be made known to God. And one sign that you might not be a believer is ingratitude and thanklessness and a heart that doesn't really care about what God has done for you. Listen to Paul describe that in Romans 1. He says, For although they knew God, these are unbelievers, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise, but they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. When we are not full of gratitude, idolatry is lurking around the corner. You are going to replace the glorious God who saved you, who made the heavens and the earth. You're going to replace him with something else. And that's going to lead to a lot of miserable ingratitude in your life. Quickly, as we thought about rejoicing always, putting gentleness on display and being anxious for nothing but praying about everything. Listen, the last measure is really a result of all of those things working properly in the Christian life. And Paul will say, that's when you experience the peace of God that guards you. It guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, once you've prayed, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And this is where I just want to ask you, do you have that peace of God in your heart? And notice that language of guarding your heart. That's language of like a sentry or a garrison. I was in the Marine Corps, and, and one of the things they did in combat training is you learned how to stand guard and you would be up for 24 hours standing guard with a rifle in your hand, observing alert, or you were supposed to be observing or alert. And you didn't want to go to sleep. You wanted to be alert, ready, seeing what's going around because you wanted to protect and you wanted to guard and you wanted to stand watch. And that is the language of the peace of God at work in you. When you pray about everything, 
those things you're anxious about, those things that are like darts in your soul, those things that are like crushing you, God sends His peace in like a garrison deployed to actually guard you and actually secure you. And your heart has this supernatural peace that you can't fully explain, but it's, it's okay. Because the Lord is at hand. God has it. God is taking care of it. There's a sense, and the word peace is shalom in Hebrew, and here the, the, the word has those same connotations. This kind of well-being, this kind of overall health and well-being because God is with me, because God is protecting me, because God is guarding me. And it's something that the world does not know, but the people of God know. And Jesus said, peace I give to you. Let your heart not be troubled. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but I give you a peace to overcome the world. The prophet Isaiah says, you keep him in perfect peace, Lord, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And prayer is really trusting God in dependency and coming to Him for all the things you need and all the struggles you're going through. And peace begins to come into your life like an army garrison to protect you and help you and guard you and that's one of my favorite verses. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep me in perfect peace because my mind is stayed on you, Lord. Because of trust in you. Is that our hearts? That's something to, to remember, write down, and actually pull out when you're anxious. He'll keep you in perfect peace. Colossians says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called into one body and be thankful. Peace and thankfulness go together. When your heart is full of gratitude and your heart is full of prayer, the peace of God begins to come. And it banishes anxiety from your soul. It chases it out. And that's something I'm after. Because the Lord is the one who brings peace. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into him and are safe. Do you need to run somewhere when you're in trouble? Run to the Lord. And the peace that is found in Christ alone will guard you. Verse 7 says, it's in Christ. You're he, he will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's where all the blessings lie. That's where all the hope comes. That's where all the peace is stored. It's in Jesus. In Jesus, all of the promises of God for you are yes. And so come to Him to get peace and help in a time of need. Now I hope you guys have been helped when you think about where you're at spiritually? Are you in a season where you got like some spiritual gingivitis going on? Rejoice always. 
Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Be anxious for nothing and pray about everything. And then that peace will come. And it's like getting cared for by the sweetest physician in the world who means to bring you peace in your soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your grace. There may be all sorts of reasons that we're anxious and fretting and feeling like my checkup's not going good. And Father, if there are those who are out here who are there, they're there today, they've got anxiety welling up. Even when you talk about anxiety, it makes them anxious. And I pray, Father, that you would bring peace. I pray that you would help us to rejoice in the Lord always and to be gentle to our brothers and sisters. And Father, may we be a people of prayer. May our prayer meetings overflow. May our prayer meetings be the, the most attended meeting. God, because we got our hearts around this reality that peace comes when the people of God pray. And Lord, I pray that if anybody here does not know the peace of the Lord, does not know the grace of God, is fast bound in sin and in nature's night, realizes they're empty, they're struggling, they're, they're fretting, their life is always worried, they're always worried about their stuff, they're always worried about their, their lack of peace, they're always worried about when things go wrong, and they've got no hope, and they experience the guilt of God right here and right now. And I pray that they would turn to you, Lord, and believe and trust you and surrender their lives to you afresh. In Jesus' name, amen.